0: Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now, here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. Hello, and welcome to the show. Got a lot to talk about. We've been off for a little while because of the Super Bowl prep. Uh, So got some fun stuff planned for Super Bowl in terms of uh, props I'm looking out for, obviously game analysis, but let's get into it with what went down with some of these championship games, kind of do a brief breakdown of the games, kind of give you a little bit of insight as to the teams themselves. So obviously we know that the Patriots and Rams are in the Super Bowl, but how did they really get there? You know, I'll start off with the Rams just because everyone's going to track back to the NFC title game and the non-call by the referees on the pass interference by Roby Coleman against the Saints. Everyone knows it was pass interference. The league knows it was pass interference. Does the league actually give a rat's ass that they screwed up? No, they don't. It, this is this speaks more to how the league operates, more than anything else you will see uh, pretty much in any other sport. In most sports, there is some level of accountability where if they screw up something so royally that they know that they need to make substantial changes to actually get it done. Even baseball, for all of its screw-ups, the biggest thing that baseball had was they didn't know how they were going to implement instant replay. They just knew that they had blown so many calls on big stages that something had to change with how they were going to police the game. The NFL goes about things in a different way. The NFL just goes about things as if, oh, that happened? I have no idea that happened. Oh, well, it, it may have happened and we're sorry that it may have affected you, but we're moving on. And they just move on to the next thing that they want to shill and promote. That's just the NFL's MO. So when you hear about uh, talk of additional instant replay being introduced, it's a legitimate argument because the game is too fast for referees. There is no reason why you don't implement it other than you don't want to have more calls questioned and thereby somehow make it look like you don't know what you're doing. Because here's the thing. There are different ways of implementing replay. The NHL has a system that I can't stand because they go to a centralized hub and they kind of make up stuff on the fly and then they charge the team timeouts. I mean, that's what the NFL basically does. Uh, and it's they stole that idea from the NHL. I think it's one of the more ridiculous systems. Baseball... Uh, and basketball, at least, uh, did not in cer- certain circumstances where baseball, you have more challenges uh, than you really know what to do with, and, you know, it doesn't really come into play all that often because you have more than enough challenges, and most managers don't even use it. And that's the reason why it, this current system with the NFL is so asinine, because, honestly, if you gave coaches six challenges, chances are... At most, they're going to use three of them because they're not going to uh, be willing to give up a timeout more often than not. It's like if you gave them six challenges, uh, so that makes uh, one challenge uh, uh, per timeout you have, most coaches are not going to risk uh, losing a timeout just because you gave them extra challenges. I mean, that's the simplest fix of them all to implement, and it'd be done like that. For those of you who are listening to this and then saying, but... What about the game length? Literally, do you really believe television programming dictates what the NFL does? Uh, It it, it is without question. The most asinine argument I've heard from folks is they're worried about the primetime television lineup. You really think that 60 minutes is going to dictate what NFL games do? At, at, at all like america uh, like uh, uh, bob's flipping burgers is gonna dictate what the nfl how how long the nfl game's gonna go the television networks love the nfl they love them more than their actual programming that's why they pay billions of dollars to the nfl for the tv rights it, like this isn't uh a case of uh, The tail wagging the dog. The NFL's the dog. They control what goes on. The television networks just bob their heads and say, yes, 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 go along like it. I mean, plenty of things run really long. An NFL game runs three and a half hours. If you add an extra ten minutes to the game, I guarantee you, people are not going to give a damn. Because worst case scenario, you run an overlap... On certain games, if you need to cut out and if it's a crappy game, yeah, no one's really going to care all that much of their lousy team. The most that's going to happen is a local team, uh, it, you, your local game might run over into the doubleheader of the main game of the week. But guess what? With cell phones and all the other technology people have, you will still be able to follow games regardless. This is not the 1980s where you only had... Three channels you uh, could watch at a given moment, and then uh, even back then it was only two networks that actually had Sunday games. So you know the argument that the TV is going to dictate what the NFL is going to do in terms of rule changes is completely absurd. It has no bearing whatsoever on this. So if you think that God friended me is going to change is going to uh, affect how the NFL approaches the replay system. Like, forget about it. It, Literally, this is just the NFL being stubborn because they don't want to pay more money. Because the owners have the perception that hiring more people to look at instant replay or more challenges means that they're going to have to pay people more money. I'm sorry, but getting calls actually correct is part of the job description for referees. So if there's another referee that has to get hired, you know what? That comes out of the salary of the other referees because they weren't getting the job done in the first place. There's too many issues that Al River on the head of officiating, had to try to cover up and explain this year. And yes, there were a number of veteran referees who retired because TV money is better than the money the NFL is paying. And they don't have people yelling at them all the time. I don't blame them one iota. But the, the simple fact of the matter is that the NFL has a problem. The NFL's approach to said problem, much like things that they don't like dealing with, like the Colin Kaepernick situation, is that they hope it goes away over time if they wait it out long enough because they have a ton of money and, you know, they don't want to spend any of it. That's literally the NFL's approach. So with that being said, realistically... Are we going to see any changes coming from one of the most egregiously blown calls in NFL history? Probably not. And it's not for the fact that change isn't needed. It's just that the NFL doesn't feel they need to make a change, and they're just going to willfully ignore the public outcry as long as humanly possible and just hope that by the time the uh, next season rolls around, people aren't clamoring for more changes to replay because it's very simple to implement a picture-in-picture box of every time that they're going in the replay booth that you're running commercials during the instant replay review. They could still find ways of making money if they actually wanted to put some effort into it. They just don't want to put any effort into this uh, process because they don't want to guarantee commercial time slots uh, that may or may not happen, so that's why they, they don't do it. But realistically... It's a simple fix to, to get replay uh, done uh, more adequately in the NFL level. There's really no reason why questionable bang-bang plays cannot be reviewed more closely. Whether it's by giving coaches more challenges, so you give them six challenges instead of two, which is ridiculous to begin with, or re- reviewing every play, which again, not every play is going to get reviewed, which is why... I still say just giving the coaches more challenges is going to be more beneficial more often than not because not all those challenges are going to get used because if you get it wrong, you're going to lose a timeout. And coaches hate giving up timeouts that they don't have to. Anyway, I'm ready to get myself excited here uh, uh, talking about uh, the NFL because of how ridiculous some of the responses I've heard regarding It's the Replay. Yes, the Saints have a right to be angry. Yes, the Saints have a right to call Roger Goodell a clown. Is it right for Barstool to continue selling the Goodell clown shirts? Yeah, it's well deserved because the man makes hand over fist money yet still finds ways of making himself look like a perpetual idiot. It you know it goes without saying you like Roger Goodell's official statement today and mind you uh, it is Thursday, uh, uh, Thursday morning, so his official statement last night, Wednesday, a full four days a- after everything went down on Sunday. I mean, uh, well, well, uh, I- I'm saying uh, four days from, uh, so uh, four days ago was the Pro Bowl, but it's like you had over 10 days, Um, because he should have made a- an announcement at the Pro Bowl. That was my first issue with Goodell. He didn't even try to address it. They, like, they blew it off entirely. Again, classic NFL behavior. Pretend something didn't happen and hope the public outcry isn't enough that they actually have to address something. But literally, Goodell makes the case that because players are human and coaches are human and officials are human, that humans can make mistakes. Yeah, that's, that's a great afternoon special uh, statement, Roger. It doesn't address the fact that what are you doing to remedy that from happening again? It, it, it's just like throwing your hands up in the air saying, oh, that happened? Oh, that's too bad. You know what that excuse is? That, that excuse is literally a guy's dating a girl, cheats on her with one of her friends, and it says, look, I'm human, you're human she's human, we're all human beings, why can't we get along? Like, that's literally what that explanation is from Roger Goodell by going down the we're all human route and we make mistakes. It doesn't actually address the main point of the fact of what are we doing after said mistake happened to make sure it doesn't happen again. It, it, it's just, it's the classic I'm sorry that you're offended apology, non-apology, It doesn't go anywhere. Anyway, let's get into a couple other things uh, uh, regarding the game a bit uh, that I've seen. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to make picks on the game just yet. I'll save that uh, for a a few more, another day or so. Uh, I'll probably make the pick by Friday or Saturday. But uh, in the interim, the one thing I'll say about the Rams is... You know, they'll talk about the coaching matchup between McVay and Belichick. But the the biggest standout uh, for the Rams is, the reason why it is good seeing the Rams make it in, is that the Rams actually went for it this year. The Rams were one of the most aggressive teams in free agency uh, this offseason. Los Angeles, unlike many teams, (coughs) the Jaguars, um, didn't rest on their laurels just because they had a good year. They traded for Ndamukong too. They traded for Brandon Cooks. They brought in to Tlaib. They traded for Marcus Peters uh, on the defensive side. Not all of them worked out, but you can see the effort being made to solidify an already strong team, which, again, all too often in the NFL, NFL owners being the cheapskates that they are, And, yes, they are cheapskates by and large. Uh, Owners do not like spending money on free agents when they feel they can just get cheaper players in the draft or unrestricted free agents. That's why guys go all the time. That was the whole crux of the issue behind Josh Norman leaving the Carolina Panthers. Neither side benefited from Norman leaving the Panthers after that Super Bowl uh, Nor- Norman never really got... I mean, yes, he went uh, went to Washington, but it it never quite worked out, and Carolina's defense was never the same without Norman being a ball hawk. It was net negative, but that's the thing with teams. When they reach a certain level of success, they don't want to spend money on veteran players and bring them in because, again, that, co- that takes more money out of their pocket at the end of the day that they feel... You know, they could just pocket and hoard even more cash. It's the way they work. But the Rams, because Stan Kroenke has Walmart money and is embezzling money from Arsenal Football Club, but that's another story entirely. The Rams decided to go all-in this year and just bring in as many uh, free agents uh, and trade targets as possible. And that's where... This was born from uh, a core team in the Rams, young head coach, offensive mind, young quarterback in Jared Goff, and you uh, brought in a bunch of veteran uh, veterans around the team, along with a superstar running back in Todd Gurley, and that's how the Rams got off to such a dynamic start to the year. Now, the issue with the Rams is that after... Uh, that loss uh, to the Saints, the Rams never were quite this, uh, uh, the same team after that point. The, the Rams realistically, uh, did not, uh, reach that same level. So like the rest of the way through the reason why I've been, even though I took the Rams in the, uh, NFC title game, uh, for the points, the Rams have not been the same team is the simple fact of the matter is is that part of it is, I think the league has actually caught up to what the Rams do offensively. And again, the, uh, the, uh, defense under Wade Phillips, it's not a typical Wade Phillips defense because they're not, their strength isn't in their outside pass rush or in a second level, uh, Uh, second level in terms of um, uh, the linebackers rushing to pass it. That's not really their strength. Their strength comes from the interior between Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald. However, the one thing I'll say about that is, if you're going to beat the Patriots, which you absolutely should be able to do, unless you get the fluke of all flukes, which was last year's Super Bowl, where the Eagles... Basically, were able to take advantage of uh, Malcolm Butler being benched the entire game and shred their secondary. Realistically, you're not going to outscore, uh, get uh, get into a shootout with the Patriots. So you actually have to, uh, you actually have to slow them down. And the way you slow them down is with interior pressure up the middle, which is what uh, Aaron Donald and Dama Kitsu bring in spades. So it's one of those cases that. You know, long story short, the Rams actually do have the blueprint for being able to uh, take out the uh, take out the Patriots because the the blueprint that they should have is the game. Even though the Patriots won the game, uh, if you go back to Super Bowl forty nine against the Seahawks, the Seahawks were able to bring tons of pressure, especially up the middle against Brady, and they picked them off twice. Uh, the biggest change in that game, uh, to be honest, outside of the dumbest call in football history with Marshawn Lynch not getting the ball at the goal line, but besides that play, the the, the turning point in that one, uh, which got Brady on track to begin with, was when Cliff Averill got a concussion because Seattle's pass rush was never the same and he had all day to throw... Uh, especially the Julian Element, and that's how Brady got hot. Brady, if Brady gets hot, which he did in the beginning of the Philly game, that's why the, the Philly game to me is is the aberration. It's like I throw that one out the window because to me that game doesn't count because of what the Patriots did to Malcolm Butler. They sabotaged their own defense to make a point, which I still disagree with. They, uh, I mean, it, credit to them, they uh, their system managed to work it out, I, and I can go into why. Uh, Kansas City blew that game eight different ways, and maybe I'll do that for the next uh, podcast. But, um, you know, the biggest issue is that, you know, to beat the Patriots, you actually have to be sound and disciplined enough. And one of the ways you do that on defense is getting the pressure up the middle. Because if you get the pressure up the middle, even if Brady gets the ball off quickly, he can't pull his full, um, he can't put uh, his full weight into it because of the fact that the pressure's in his face and he doesn't want to get hit. So that's how you disrupt Tom Brady. So the Rams have that capability. Now, another question I've been fielding from folks is, you know, if everyone's taking the Patriots because the line is at 2.5 for New England, why has the line not moved? Because on the sports books. The total number of bets are about eight, uh, 85% on New England minus two and a half. And in terms of the total money wager, 80% is on the Pats right now. Usually there's uh, uh, there's more balance between uh, the two sides. The issue is that all the public money right now is going on New England because they they saw what they did to Kansas City, so they think the Rams have no chance. But the other problem is that that two and a half line is, isn't really that advantageous. Everyone's waiting for that line to get to three because of the public money. That's where the uh, the heavy hitters are waiting on, is we're waiting on the line to move to minus three to New England to bet the plus three on the Rams to give yourself some downside hedge in case the Pats win by a last-second field goal. There, There's consensus belief that the Rams have a good shot at winning this game, but folks are waiting on the sidelines to make the bet because... They're waiting for the books to uh, expand this up to minus three. They don't want to buy the points right now because buying points, you know, it, you're just giving house money as well just to give yourself downside protection. It's either you take them out right or you don't. So that's where we kind of stand on it. That's why this line hasn't moved at all in a week, which I was very surprised by. But because so many people are on New England, the Vegas sportsbooks know that the heavy hitters are coming in on the Rams. It's just a matter of timing. So I think everyone's trying to wait this out as long as humanly possible before they have to lock in that bet. And hopefully, it goes to uh, it gives three points to the Rams, so that you can get that uh, you can get that plus three benefit in case uh, this ends up being decided by a field goal at the end. So those are some of my initial thoughts on the Super Bowl. We'll get into uh, further details uh, you know, in the next day or so as I do my full breakdown of the teams and the game itself because it is an interesting game from my initial breakdown. I don't think it's nearly as one-sided as uh, you're hearing some experts say uh, the game is. I, I really feel as though the Rams have gotten the short end of the stick because of the egregious, uh, no call on the pass interference. People act as though that the Rams have absolutely no business being, uh, in the same league as the Patriots and the Rams won 13 games this year. It, I mean, it, the Rams were an undefeated team headed, uh, uh, going into week 10. I, I mean, you know, this is not one of those situations where the Rams are an undeserving team. The Rams are far more deserving of being in the Super Bowl than New England is. I'll say that point blank. But it's the way they got into the Super Bowl with how the referee screwed up the NFC Championship game. That's what people have an issue with. And people are letting that dictate how this game is going to go down. And that's not the way to go about it. That's a good way of losing money, in my opinion. But, you know we'll see, we'll see where the betting lines end up, uh, at, but the trend is heavily slanted towards New England. You know, I get it just from in the experience factor alone, but if we're comparing rosters and we're going through it, you know, there's cases to be made, uh, on both sides, but it's not nearly as cut and dry as people are making it out to be based off of the betting pattern. So, uh, that's all I'll say on that for now. But, uh, We'll, we'll, uh, we'll touch back on the, uh, the title game uh, in the next day or so. Uh, but uh, next, I want to talk about the NBA. And the NBA situation I want to talk about is the Anthony Davis fiasco down in New Orleans. Because Anthony Davis, through his agent, Rich, uh, Rich Paul, announced that AD would not sign an extension with the Pelicans. And is uh, willing to be, wants to be traded to uh, a contender because he wants to compete for a title. In response, the Pelicans have all but deactivated Anthony Davis, and the more likely scenario is that the Pelicans are going to shelve their franchise player for the rest of the NBA season. When this story originally broke, ESPN basically all but said that... Uh, AD to the Lakers was a done deal. And I never believed that for a second because here's the thing. If you're the Pelicans, why would you want to trade Anthony Davis off the bat to the Lakers when you can get Boston involved in the offseason and make this a more competitive arms race as to who's going to offer you up more? Like, you want to sweeten the pot on the deal. Usually when a player has less time... And a the the, uh, the return gets uh, weaker, but you have more entrance in play. The reason why the Celtics can't deal is a stupid NBA rule because of some of the, uh, the transactions they've already made with Kyrie and others so that th- the Celtics are literally, their ha- hands are tied. They can't get involved uh, in, uh, in a trade mid-year because of the trades they've already made in the offseason. So uh, the NBA's attempts to limit player movement have put us in this hostage negotiation scenario where A.D., uh, Anthony Davis, wants to get out of uh, New Orleans to play for a contending team for the title, and because the Pelicans know that they can get a better haul for him in the offseason, they're just simply going to shelf him for the rest of the regular season, which is another... Uh, I mean, we're in January. They're going to shelve him for five months because he can't sign. uh, He can't really realistically be traded until the end of the season. So, for all intents and purposes, Anthony Davis has seen his last action for the season because if you're the Pelicans, why would you risk getting him hurt if you're planning to trade him in the offseason? It makes no sense for them to play him. So, now we're stuck in this situation where one of the best players in the league is now exiled off the face of the planet for the most part because he asked for a trade because his team and organization has been so inept about building a team around him in the first place to compete for a title. It's not as though the Pelicans haven't made the playoffs. The problem is is that AD has had to do so much work to get that team into the playoffs. The fact that they couldn't actually pair him with a compatible superstar because... This was my whole issue with not signing Boogie Cousins to an extension. You needed to keep Boogie Cousins to an extension to at least give Anthony Davis some incentive to stay. To say, listen, they're trying everything they can. Uh, they're, they're, they wanna bring, uh, they want to bring they want they uh, want uh, to bring a title here. They're focused, but for all intents and purposes. The issue with the Pelicans stems from the fact that they're owned by the same Benson family that owns the Saints and the Bensons care more about the Saints than they do about the Pelicans. It's been that way since, uh, they've, uh, uh, since the, uh, the Hornets moved down, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, move from Charlotte down to, uh, New Orleans in the first place. They, they, the whole focus is on the Saints. The, the Benson family have their football people running the basketball team, which makes absolutely no sense, but they trust their football people. So that's the whole point. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those situations where, you know, you've got an organization that's not well run, that's a small uh, town franchise, and everyone's going to boo-hoo, it's a small town franchise getting screwed by a superstar player. Listen. No one told you that uh, you had to go and get a small market franchise uh, and run it. Like, you made that choice. So you knew you who you are competing up against. The way you build out a small market franchise is to actually put together young talent together and, and build a nucleus. Like, the Golden State Warriors, like, Golden State was dead for decades. It was a forgotten... Area, even though they are an LA team, that's r- realistically what uh Golden State did. They they rebuilt and re imaged that entire franchise. You have to do it by being smart, drafting well. Like all these teams, they just think that what because they tanked and got one player that the problems are solved because they can just put together a poo poo platter of crappy players around them and it doesn't matter because. the the superstar player is going to fix all their woes. It's going to be fine. Like I saw the T-Wolves waste the prime of Kevin Garnett's career based off of this nonsense. As soon as uh, Stefan Marbury left town, you know, these, uh, these teams don't know how to build franchises. And the NBA's problem is that they got too many dumb owners in the league, like owners that don't really care about their product. like, Even though Mark Cuban's a loudmouth, guess what? If the league had, you know, eight more Mark Cubans, this would be a far more competitive uh, league than what we have right now because there are only about six or seven owners that that really get it. And then you got a bunch of owners that have money and are willing to splash it. So you got a couple more owners. And then the rest of them are just there. They're literally just there. And it's just like, you know what? I refer to them as just salad dressing. It's like, you know, it, it, it's it's just there, you know, fairly innocuous for the most part, not going to move the needle one way or the other. The, the, the problem is that at the end of the day, in order to have a booming league, you need to have some semblance that things can get better for your franchise. The NFL has functioned off of this, f- knowing full well that their o- most of their owners are incompetent or cheap. But the, owner, uh, but the NFL has sold the notion to fans that things can turn around in a single season, even though, by and large, the data shows that's not even remotely true because some organizations are just too, in- uh, too inept to get it out of their own way. But they sell the idea and people buy it. The NBA doesn't even bother selling that idea. The NBA sells stars. Pure and simple. And the owners keep coming up with new rules to restrict players. To save them from their own incompetence. But realistically what the NBA has to do. Is to come up with better ways of uh, allowing, uh, making it easier for teams to bring in guys. And uh, thereby, and by bringing guys, I do mean uh, of freeing up uh, uh, some of the salary cap restrictions that are on the league, because the, the current cap system, uh, you know, with the luxury tax, it doesn't help the bottom market teams, because the bottom market teams don't want to spend money. Like, there should be a salary floor, but again... The floor should only be pertaining to uh, because you're paying your superstar players. There are some mid-level guys that are making way too much money, whereas the top guys like LeBron don't make nearly enough money compared to what they do for the league. Like, there really shouldn't be restrictions on max player contracts, in my opinion. There really shouldn't because they threw out the max contract, but a bunch of guys can get max contracts. Not all of them deserve it. But these teams are so lazy at their job of scouting, they don't, they can't imagine some of their franchises without some of these players, so they spend the money anyway, even though they're not going to win Jack, because it's easier than actually putting in the work. So, again, if you incentivize winning instead of incentivizing tanking, a lot of the issues that happen in the NBA wouldn't be happening... Uh, And you wouldn't have a situation like a superstar player like Anthony Davis literally being put on the shelf, not because he's injured, but because his team is too incompetent to figure out a way to win with him that when he wants to leave, it's in their incentive to hold him out as long as humanly possible to get a trading partner because of your own trade restrictions within the league. It makes no sense except by NBA, uh, NBA owner logic. Anyway, before I go, I'm going to give my thoughts on uh, what is essentially the most popular golf tournament of the entire PJ Tour uh, this year. And that is the Phoenix Waste Management Open. Uh, I mean, the best way I can describe the Waste Management Open is if a frat party happened at a golf course. Because, it, literally, it is the largest crowd... Bar none in terms of uh, PGA tour events uh, and in terms of how rowdy they get. I, I mean, basically this turns into, uh, what amounts, uh, uh, what amounts to, uh, Ryder cup, but just at a ridiculously ex- uh, expensive course. So it's, 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 uh, one of the longer courses on, uh, on the tour uh, out, uh, obviously out in uh, Phoenix, but uh, with uh, Bermuda turf. But every I, – I mean, the players love it. The fans love it just because, uh, you know, when you see it on TV, it is – it's one of the loudest venues on tour bar none. I, I – every time I, I keep looking at it, I, I just keep saying that, uh, you know, there's no way uh, this doesn't turn into – a fun contest. It's it's impossible. It's it's absolutely ready made for TV. It's what NBC's using to line up against the Super Bowl. Uh, so like right up until the game, that uh, uh, the golf tournament's going to be on NBC. Uh, obviously, the Super Bowl's on CBS this year. But uh, you know, it's the it's going to be one of the most watched events of the weekend bar none. So in terms of golfers that I would take a look at. You got Hideki Matsuyama basically uh, owns this course. I mean, uh, he got hurt in the middle of the course last year when he was tearing it up. But Matsuyama has had four top ten finishes, uh, three top five finishes uh, in the past five years. Uh, so I like Matsuyama. I like Adam Hadwin. Uh Yeah, he's also a Scottsdale resident, so he plays the course all the time. And then you got Phil Mickelson, old lefty. You know, this is a tailor-made course for him. He's the all-time earnings leader at this particular golf course in Scottsdale. Uh, You know, it's it's one of those um, it's one of those events where that uh, there are a lot of uh, popular golfers to like. Uh, and this, uh, this should be a pretty high score in order to win it. So, uh, I'm just looking to see, uh, who's going to be really good on, um, uh, greens and regulation. Uh, so I'm probably going to look at the likes of, uh, Billy Horschel as well. Uh, but like I said, my, my picks for the golf course this weekend, which should be, uh, the golf equivalent of a frat party, just because of how loud it gets. Uh, it it's, uh, it looks to be along the lines of Matsuyama. I'd be stunned if he doesn't have a top five finish, uh, provided he stays healthy. Like he just does so well on this course that for a one and done uh, uh, tournament pick uh, for the season, I would use Matsuyama here. That that's just the way I am leaning. So uh, that would be my recommendation. In terms of uh, some of these uh, golf lineups, uh, I, I definitely look at the likes of, uh, like I said, Billy Horschel, uh, Ricky Fowler, Matsuyama, all in play there. Uh, for those looking to save some money, uh, I mean, you've you've got a you got uh, some uh, some golfers that you can uh, use like a Jason Kolkrak, uh also, uh, you can go with um, uh, Chez Uh You know there there's some uh, there's some uh, uh, folks you can use as well. Taylor Gooch. uh all viable plays on DK and Fanduel, in my opinion. If you want to save some money, but uh, to me, Matsuyama and Horschel definitely are the plays uh, on the DFS lane. And if you like, I said, if you're doing a one and done uh tournament pick uh and you don't want to use one of the top top stars for your selection uh I, i'm hard pressed to find anyone else to recommend other than Matsuyama it, to me it's it's a lock that he's going to do well this weekend so of course i i probably just jinxed the guy but uh you know it, it's just my opinion it, it, there's not much that I could say that's going to deter me from uh, playing him this week uh, in every contest. Uh, I I just uh, am going to be heavily overweight on Matsuyama in all my lineups because it just makes a ton of sense to play him this week. There there really isn't anything uh, in his game that doesn't play well out on this this golf course. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, he's the overall number one pick. In terms of my board, uh, from a DFS perspective, and on uh, one and done tournaments, it's it's just a uh, way too easy uh, not to pick him. So, uh, uh, way too easy, uh, way too easy to pick him. Uh, fading him, I think, is completely out of question. Uh, that's just me. So that's gonna do it for the show today. I'm gonna be back on uh here relatively quickly cuz uh, we got to get fully into the Super Bowl and breaking it down and kind of going through the uh the paces of each team and where I'm going to fall on betting patterns because of uh, obviously we got the prop bets but you know all told the, the biggest issue is the fact that this line is not moving and that scares me Quite a bit because so much of the public's on the Patriots. But I want to have some downside protection in case that game goes down to a last minute field goal as well. So uh, that's going to do it for the show today. But uh, we'll see how the rest of the week goes. So uh, uh, best of luck to all of you in the rest of the week. And uh, we'll uh, catch up uh, before the weekend. Have a good one, folks.